Planetary Health First, Mars Next, a Michael Mann production. We are on a mission to transform healthcare, one where all equally benefit by building a dynamic, robust, diverse community. Join us on this journey. One parsec at a time, we will be transforming healthcare together. Awesome. Welcome to Planetary Health First, Mars Next. We have a special, amazing guest. I've gotten to know her, um, and I hope to get to know her more. I've had some good conversations with her. This is Christine Von Raisfield, and she is uh, super awesome. Few people with a cause walk the talk as boldly as her and graciously. She is the founder and CEO of People with Empathy. Christine is a pillar of patient advocacy and allyship in the rare and chronic disease community. Through the lens of her lived experience in healthcare, she has become a champion for patient voices, diversity and inclusion in clinical research and equitable patient sponsorship and partnerships. Christine has brought her unique perspective and honed expertise to countless roles as a featured speaker for numerous conferences on topics ranging from clinical trial recruitment to data and digital rights. From a true patient perspective, she serves as a e-patient scholar with Stanford Medicine X, wow, that's super cool, and a technical expert panelist with CMS, and that's the real deal, federal government, and a patient ambassador for the NIH, National Institute of Health, all of us research program, among other roles. Wherever possible, Christine generates momentum toward progress along her patient advocacy journey and has become a thought leader worldwide, stimulating dialogue on a range of topics relevant to patients, clinics, clinicians, and industry as a moderator and host of People with Empathy, the inside track on Clubhouse. That's cool. As a patient advisor, Christine has assisted several initiatives, including the Stanford Human-Wide Patient Precision Medicine Program. Wow, that's super cool. And the NIH All of Us Research Program and serves as a board member advisor to multiple organizations and startups. For many contributions to her field, she has been named one of the top 100 women of influences by the Silicon Valley Business Journal 2020 Silicon Valley Community Hero, a member of 2021 HIMSS Future 50, and one of Medica Life's 50 Most Influential Voices in Healthcare 2022. Wow. It is such an honor to have you here. Um, I don't know how we got you here, but you're here. I really appreciate that you just dropped in, took the time to be with us at Planetary Health. It's great to have you here, Christine. Well, I am so glad to be able to speak with you and really it's fascinating the conversations we've had. So any opportunity to come on and let anyone else hear what we were talking about was is you know, it's my pleasure. So thank you uh, for having me. Well, we it is awesome and we're going to start the big question with if I had my genome. And so Christine I know this is a huge question. So if you had your own genome, your whole, you know, you might even want to start with what a genome is for some people out there like myself. 
But if you had access to this whole information from clinical trials and studies should be given to patients with information so scattered in the future, the only person who is incentivized to fix me is me. It sounds like that's a statement you might have said or been thinking, <laughs> chewing on. So let's drive deeper on that one. Yeah, I actually have been thinking about that and have said it quite a bit lately. And for those people that don't know, I am a rare disease, uh, autoimmune patient, and still undiagnosed. And I have been on Medicare now for 20 years. I've been disabled for uh, since I was 27 years old due to my medical conditions. Um, and all of my life, we've really treated the symptoms over even looking for an underlying cause, right? And so I had my first surgery at the age of five, which then progressed to other conditions and diseases and treatments, but still never any underlying cause. And so all of my life, or actually not all of my life, but since I learned about clinical research, I started participating. I went out of my way to find studies and research and anything that, that I could participate in, right? Really to get answers on myself because I was just not finding them. And so over the years I participated, and am I allowed to say one of the studies that I participated in by name? If that's, it's up to you. I mean, we're not beholden <laughs> by anyone. I mean, unless it's like the NIA, you know, some, no. you know, I don't know. The, and actually it's nothing really horrible, right? So I was in 2015 enrolled in a lupus study, which was what people now know as 23andMe. And as part of that study, lupus patients, we were given um, access to 23andMe. We filled out surveys, all of these things, and participated. And in exchange, we got a raw VCF file of our, my, our data, right? And so back in 2015, when I got this back, it really didn't mean anything to me. And it didn't mean anything to my physicians at the time either, right? I brought, I got it back, put it into my computer. It was a whole bunch of ones and zeros. I had no idea what they meant, right? And neither did my doctors. I brought it to them, asked them if they could use it. They said no. They couldn't understand it either. But they did tell me at the time to keep it on hand because maybe one day this information would be helpful. So, it sat on my hard drive for years and years and years. And a few years ago, I met a woman, Alice Rathjen, who became a really good friend and she was able to interpret those, those readings. And she had asked me, well, when she, after she read them, she was a little bit shocked with the results that she saw. And she called me and she said, what had been done? And I said, well, nothing. It was part of a lupus study. I just got this back and I gave it to my doctors. And she said, the density mutations that I see in your mitochondrial are, are something she's never seen before. Deletions, mutations, additions, right? Things that shouldn't be there were there, but I never got any indication from anybody that ran this study that those might be an issue. So now those tests are outdated, right? They're no longer up to the standards that we have. And I've participated in studies everywhere, right? lupus studies, other conditions, um, you know, anything I could. And all of that information has been put out there into the universe for everybody else. But none of that information has come back to me and my physicians, except for that one file from 23andMe way back when. 
And so for me, what I'm looking for is an answer to my diseases. I'm still disabled. I'm acquiring more and more conditions and more and more damage from medications so I get older. And what I really want is people to look at my underlying cause and to stop treating the symptoms. And so if I had access to some of the information to my genome that I've done for, you know, all of these research products, right, or projects to give my information to them, if I could get that back and compile that myself, I could find an answer faster than any care team out there. And I've helped my doctors along in, in where we should be and what we're looking at, but without hard evidence for some things, I can only push my own physicians so much, right? And so what I really want and what I think we all should have access to, especially those people dealing with rare disease or undiagnosed, I think on a bigger scale, right? If I had access to that genome, I could use AI technology. I could run all of my information through you know, current data sets and maybe try to narrow down what might be one of my causes. Um, and then really, I think there's so many other ways you can adapt that. I could, I think um, we look a lot at patient groups in disease spaces, but I'm misdiagnosed on a lot of different conditions. And what I would like to see is patients who are linked together based on their mutations, right? Maybe their top 10 clusters or gene mutations, and then looking at where people live and the environment and how that impacts us. And so you know, I, I just, I see a lot there, but I also see a lot of, I guess, um, I don't know how you would say it, but really no one wants to give it back, right? What is a patient going to do with their information? And, and I agree to a certain extent, but I think if we can give people tools, if we can teach people how to use this information, it'll be more effective for all of us, not just in me treating my own condition, but in you know, later down the line. I, uh, I see. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it does. And, and so this gives you hope as a champion to, to try to narrow the gap, keep on champion forward, uh, where science and health really meet at the intersection, but we're not there yet. Not yet. But I think it's having these conversations, right? I think when I talk about health and where I see healthcare going, people look at me either with a glazed over look. Oh, did you lose me for a second? Sorry. <laughs> it's all right. I was going to say, when I talk about my ideas around health, um, I think I get like a glazed over look by some people or people that just don't think it's possible. But I think as we educate more people around how things work and as we're looking at the, how things are changing, we're in a new digital world and a new data economy. And that can factor in how everything works later down the line. And I just don't think most people are at an understanding yet of how all of this plays in together. <laughs> So what what do you think we need to do? Where do you see narrowing this gap? Like, what do you think is possible in these next few years on your journey? Well, I think one of the things we have to talk about that we keep avoiding the conversation on is digital rights and really, you know, not ownership per se, but 
but really that access to our data. And right now, as it stands, it's pretty much whoever owns the server owns the data and, and that has to change. So I think if I'm looking long-term and my future ideas for healthcare, I think digital rights, um, we don't like to say ownership because ownership also implies the chance of selling that off. And we don't, you know, as, as part of different organizations, we don't think that that's right. So we're looking at how do we look at digital rights and how do we get people really involved in healthcare? For me, I think it is about looking at the disease spaces and kind of changing our way of thinking. We have a focus right now on precision medicine, but what most people don't understand is in order to get to that idea of precision medicine, we also have to have a lot more information and a lot more data and more people participating in research. So I think, I don't know, it's just a really weird space that we're in. I think there's potential for a lot of change. And I think being in this new data economy, that can really kind of push forward some of the change we need. Who do you think, what what organizations do you see that are really going to help and accelerate this or, on the other hand, block this? What What is the organizations that are really going to help this and what organizations might slow this down? So I'm working with the Light Collective. Uh, I'm on the board of the Light Collective. We are an organization of patients and other, you know, we have providers, other people, really on that that fight for collective digital rights. Um, we've worked, we've gotten some grants and we are now in the process of, um, our application process is closing actually tomorrow. Um, but for cohorts, we're looking for other nonprofit groups to work with to really push that message and to to have that that kind of um, uh, equity when it comes to digital rights and data. And we have a motto, but I am not thinking clearly. <laughs> that that is okay because we can come to an end. We're 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 just going to finish this up, and we're going to have another segment. So this has been great. And so you were telling me about data being your song, and. Uh, can you share a little more about that? What is this data as your song? What is it like with the music industry? Yeah. Okay. Help us. I'll help you. I'll help you and try or I'll try to help you understand my my reasoning and my thought process in it. So, and part of this maybe, I grew up, I was born and raised in Silicon Valley, right? So I watched it change from a very small community to what it is now. And, and really just seeing how data and technology and all of these things really played into that, right? Um, and so I think data is something, it's not tangible. People don't really understand what it is. And, and so they kind of just put it to the side and don't think about it. So my reasoning with that is if we think about data and if we equate it to the music industry, then in that sense, my data becomes my song. And if we think about the music industry, and not that they have worked out all of the details in that yet, but we've seen it evolve, right? Spotify, <laughs> I mean, we went from Napster, right? And, and into this evolution of where we have. But I think in the music industry, what I tell people is somebody writes that song or somebody writes that music, and it takes hundreds and maybe thousands, hundreds of thousands of people to put that music out there to the public. 
right? But we still don't forget about the artist or the writer. There's still credits there for that. And so I like to tell people, if you equate it to that, you know, then then you have a better sense of what data is. It's something that you created, right? Um, and then also looking at it from other aspects, you know, we've struggled so much with trying to get people to understand data and putting it into words and ideas that they can understand it has really been difficult, right? Um, and I think we even have talked about um, athletes, right? College athletes who were who were put out there and used and, you know, they're playing the game. And if they get hurt, a lot of times they were forgotten afterwards, right? And so that's even changing. Models who who want their own images back that, that mm -hmm. haven't been able to get those, right? And so thinking about those things, I think, that's how we need to start thinking about our medical information and, and really trying to relate it to those things that people can relate to. And, and so hopefully, hopefully music is something that we all can relate to. Right. And so by, by putting it in those words, I hope that we can change that discussion and really change the way that people look at data. And, and I joined a nonprofit. I joined the board of the light collective, um, officially last year. You'll see our mission right there. Oops, and now it's gone. <laughs> but our mission is uh, to represent the collective rights, interests, and voices of patients in health tech. And and it's hard, right? We're seeing data being used in, in horrible ways and data being used in ways that, that we don't really consent to. And, and so really, we're educating ourselves, we're educating others out there, we're working with people and we've, we're building teams to, to look at these things and, and really build safer platforms for patients and be able to, to build avenues where, where we can communicate and talk about our conditions in, in ways that we're not being taken advantage of. And so in the last, in the work that we've done in the last couple of years, um, there have been bulletins issued by HHS around pixels, which if you ask me to explain everything in detail, I can't, <laughs> but we have a whole team that does understand that. And really we're working together to, to find the flaws that we see in health tech and really bring that to light and find ways that we can work to to fix that and really to work effectively as patient groups within the industry. Does that make sense? <laughs> and I think I lost you again, Michael. But I do love the mission of the Light Collective. They've opened my eyes to a lot of different things that are out there and what's happening and how data is used and collected. Um, I'm also a heart failure patient, so I have a pacemaker that's collecting data on me all the time. And I, I, I love what you're saying about the the, the heart, the, the collective, uh, and this. So the there's the heart collective and the light collective. Are they part of? Tell me about the. Is there a difference in this or what? No, the light collective is the organization. I was saying things that we've learned about through the organization is is where we're working to. But we're actually working with other nonprofits. We're in an application period that ends tomorrow, unfortunately, for um, cab members for other nonprofits working that are, you know, that we are looking to really educate and help 
push this mission, uh, push our mission out there. We started an online security training for patient organizations and are working to help them understand how social media platforms work and how to protect themselves and their own information on those platforms. And, and it's a really interesting space right now. I think what we're learning is, um, is that we don't know a lot of things right now. And we're in this really new, we're in a new space, right? We're in a new environment and people are saying it's like the wild, wild west. So with the Light Collective, we just wanna make sure that that patient voice is, is included at, at every level. So, and then we've gotten ourselves involved with CHAI, which is the Coalition for Health and AI, and really looking at these things around data and machine learning and algorithms and all of it, right, from a different perspective of the patient. So what are you the uh, excited the most about what you're up to over these, over this next, the summer, the next, you know, whatever you're these, I mean, you have uh, several different projects and issue, initiatives that you're working on. What, what are you really excited about in this, this coming summer? I think it is, um, I think the conversations around health are starting on a more global level, right? I think when I first started in advocacy, everything was focused around just my own disease state. And now I've gotten to a point where it's expanded and a lot of the conversations I'm having are on a global level. I think we have to look at healthcare differently. We can't look at healthcare from, you know, one country's perspective or one disease state or one idea. We have to really look holistically at this. And so I'm excited for really those conversations that look at everything holistically, look at our environment, you know, how we're living, what's going into the foods we're eating and really seeing how that whole ecosystem works. You know, I think everything is interconnected and intertwined and there are so many things that we can do to help our own health and help that and the future of others. And, and we should be looking at them. So I'm excited really on that global perspective of conversations around data and what they're doing in other countries and, and how we take those perspectives from everywhere and and build a perfect idea. Well, this has been great, Christine, to have you here to join uh, us on Planetary Health First, Mars Next, just accelerating the conversation, making healthcare better. And you're just sharing your journey, your insight. And uh, thank you so much. So glad you could make it today. Yeah, it's fun. I always like talking and if there's a chance to talk to someone about the things that make my normal friend's eyes glaze over, I am all for it. <laughs> we are going to have to do it some more. It's It can't be just one time. No, I would love a continued conversation. It would be fun. And please let us know. Keep us updated on all your multiple amazing, wonderful causes so we can be first aware and however we can champion around your your efforts i would say first is look up light collective <laughs> and really look at what they're doing because i think that will change the way that that healthcare works and so i think we have to educate ourselves and start those conversations that really make a difference excellent 
Well, this has been awesome, and we are going to call it a day with Planetary Health First, Mars Next. We've had a special guest, Christine. It's been great, and uh, we are going to do it again, and uh, have a great day. Friends, it's been such a great journey today on Planetary Health First, Mars Next. Feel free to follow us. Just type in Planetary Health First, Mars Next on the internet. Until next time.